Having a good morning? Yeah. Awesome. Hey, can we just give like a round of applause? Like I know they don't do it for the praise, but for our worship team, just thanking them for leading us. And also, I just want to take a moment to just publicly thank Cody for being obedient to the call to come in and preach last week. I heard he did awesome. I haven't listened to the message, naughty me, um, but I should be listening to it. I probably need to hear it. And, um, and I just got to serve in Kids Rock last week. It was really fun. I was exhausted, uh, but it was so fun. I got to uh, read to them the story of David and Goliath, and we got to act it out and all kinds of things. Uh, but it just reminded me, honestly, of where I got to start in ministry. I got to start in kids' ministry. I taught fourth grade boys Sunday school class for two and a half years. And honestly, like I thought at the time, this is the worst thing ever. It actually was the best thing ever. Um, and you know what the best thing was at the end? I just said, hey, parents, here's your kids. See you later. Right? And so it was, it was awesome. But uh, we're starting a brand new series today, and I really think it's a, a high time for this. So we just got through our series called Making It Through the Mess, and that had to deal with kind of this mental mess that we're all in and how God made our brains and how they're meant to function and how we can start to win the battle on our mind. But I don't know about you, but I know that when I'm in a mental mess, my relationships really begin to suffer. My, my, like how I'm living life with other people in the world begins to suffer because of what's happening etern- internally. And so this, this series is all about these essential truths to building godly relationships. And I don't know about you, but there's, I know that there's some relationships in my life that need a little bit of maintenance, right? And so we're going to look at these kind of core principles and values and truths for how we are going to walk through this life. And as I was preparing for this message uh, this week, it's, a, it's honestly like it's a hard one because it, this is, you know, a message for me that really spoke to me as well, that, that there's some maintenance that I need to do in my own life. Uh, and when you, you know, when pastors study this stuff, if this stuff doesn't speak to you first, uh, then you're really not like involved in the process of this. But I was thinking about it, and so here's like a weird quirk about me. There's a lot of weird quirks about me, by the way, and uh, sometimes people say like, I can't believe you shared that from stage. I don't really care, uh, and so I sleep a little bit weird, so I, I don't sleep under the sheets, okay? I, I don't know why. I think sheets are actually really hot, so I also really like quilts. I don't know why, but I love quilts. Like, I have a quilt that I've had since college, and it's like my favorite. Brandy's giving me a face right now. Uh, this, call, like, this quilt, like I love it. It will never leave my house, and so my kids will inherit it, but um, they'll get, just get a quarter of a year, and they get to have the quilt. But so what I do, it's kind of weird, is we have a quilt on our bed, I lay on top of that, and then I have another quilt that I use to keep me warm. And so Kelsey and I have had this like kind of like strange dilemma for, for years now, and I think we finally figured it out. But so I don't know about you, but I sleep towards the top of the bed. So, okay, it's already getting weird. Blake sleeps on top of, uh, on top of the quilt, and he uses another quilt, and he sleeps. I sleep with like almost my head touching the headboard, okay? Kelsey, who's like five foot nothing, basically sleeps with her feet touching the bottom of the bed. Okay, this, this turns into a weird dynamic, right? Welcome to marriage. It's wonderful, right? And so this creates this weird dynamic, but what we were noticing is that um, 
In the middle of the night, Kelsey was waking up, and basically the, the quilt on the bottom was basically coming down, and like half of her body would be uncovered, and she'd be freezing in the middle of the night. And we were like, why is this happening? And I kept telling her, it's because you put your feet at the bottom of the bed. Like you're, you're pushing that thing down. But what we also noticed is the quilt was shifting in the middle of the night towards my side of the bed. And so basically, Kelsey was getting hosed, okay? I had my own quilt. I was living life. But Kelsey was having a problem. And she always used to say like, no, it's your fault. And I was like, no, it's your fault. It's your issue. Like, this isn't me. You need to learn how to sleep. And so what we ended, what ended up happening is there was a time during COVID when Kelsey, I slept in our room when I had COVID and then Kelsey went out because I was basically quarantined, you know? And so I went out and I slept in our room because that's where I had to stay. And what we noticed is, is that the same thing was happening all of the time when Kelsey wasn't in the bed. We all know who's to blame now, okay? We all know now. But I'll tell you that that, that process, because I thought that I was so right, and I know this is a small thing in life, but we would not have arguments, but I would blame her and she would blame me. And I, you know, I wouldn't like accept responsibility. And what I realized is, is that because I thought that I was so right, that I refuse to apologize and ask for forgiveness. Like I, and I know that's not a big deal, but, but maybe that dilemma of the quilt represents something much bigger in your life. Maybe it represents, uh, you know, this idea that, that there's something that you think you're so right about that you are never going to apologize because you're in the right standing. And so today's message is entitled, Give Yourself a gift. And really what I think today, what we're going to talk about is how to give yourself probably the greatest gift that you can give yourself. Now, the power of that gift and how that gift arrives in your life is not by your own doing, but you know, a gift in order for it to work has to be received. Like it doesn't matter if there's a gift on the table. If you don't open it, it's just a box on the table. And so this gift that we're going to talk about today, honestly, I think is one of the most important aspects to healthy, essential, godly relationships. In fact, if I, I think that if you don't have this aspect, there's not a lot of hope for your relationships. And I honestly believe that this is where the enemy and the world right now is pushing the hardest against us. So the greatest gift that you could give yourself is the gift of forgiveness. Today, we're talking all about forgiveness, and God's going to probably get all up in your stuff, okay? Because there may be some things in your life that you realize that you need to ask for forgiveness, but there's also some things in your life that you need to forgive. There, there really is, and let me just tell you, this isn't for the benefit of other people. This message is for you. This, like, other people don't need, it's a great gift that you can give someone else forgiveness and let them know, but really this is for you. This is for you. I, you know, all of these messages, they're really about God and Jesus and the power that Jesus has, but the gift that we have in Jesus and forgiveness is unbelievable because I'll tell you, the world is going to tell you that you need to have enemies. The world is going to tell you that there are unforgivable things. The world is going to tell you that you're justified and you're right in your unforgiveness. But can I tell you that that's also putting you in a prison? 
And so we're going to be in this story today about, uh, in Matthew chapter 18, and it's a parable that Jesus is going to teach about. But I want you to hear just this one quote that I ran across in my studies by Dr. Sam Storms. He said this, most of the ground that Satan gains in the lives of Christians wrote this guy named Neil Anderson. He wrote this book called Bondage Breaker. If you've never read it, as far as spiritual freedom, I honestly believe it's one of the best books ever written. Uh, He was a nuclear physicist and an engineer, and he wrote a book on spiritual warfare. And so he comes from it from a very systematic way, but he writes that unforgiveness is probably this area. He says, I couldn't agree more. It is hard to figure out why once we realize that unforgiveness breeds a whole slew of things, and then here's what it breeds. Bitterness, resentment, anger, unkindness, and even despair. See, so many of us in our life, like we're going to try to fix a lot of the symptoms of unforgiveness. But let me just tell you, if you don't treat cancer and you just treat the symptoms, you're never free of cancer. Unforgiveness is like a cancer in our soul. And if we don't, like we can start going to anger management. But the real thing that we need to know is not how you don't blow up. It's why are you so angry? Right? We, we need to deal with why I don't trust people. Well, why don't you trust people? There's some unforgiveness in that. And so I want you to understand that as a Christian, and maybe just in your life in general, I believe that unforgiveness is probably one of the ways in which the enemy is dominating people the most in this world. And unforgiveness will dominate your relationships. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. If you have a Bible with you, you can open up there. If not, don't worry, the words are on the screens for you. But Jesus is teaching the disciples in this passage all of these different areas. And, you know, one of the, the famous passages here is when, when one sheep is lost, God will leave the 99 to find the one, is the story right before this. And then if your brother sins against you, what should you do? And so the disciples, when they hear about the one sheep who goes astray and then how to forgive your brother or sister in Christ, they have some questions for Jesus. And Jesus does what he normally does. He teaches us with a story. They're called parables in the New Testament. And so we're going to jump into one right here. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, that word Lord there is a term of respect. So what I want you to understand is this is not a a time in the Bible where, where Peter's being sarcastic. Sometimes we throw the disciples under the bus like, don't you get it? Don't you understand this story? This is for real. Peter trying to understand what Jesus just taught about in forgiveness. And he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So the the very first thing that you and I need to realize, what what this is saying to us is when it's the worst, forgive. Oh, sorry, sorry. The closer you are, the more forgiveness is needed. This is what Jesus is saying in this very first part of the story. Jesus just taught about when your brother sins against you, 
And then he walks into the story and Peter asks a legitimate question. How many times should I forgive somebody? Like, what, what am I supposed to do? And so we're going to Bible nerd out here for a little bit because if you don't understand the culture of the time, this is a really important question, right? Because the rabbis, the teachers of, of God's word at the time, they were teaching this theory that you only forgive people three times, right? Like the Trinity is three, but the, in the Bible, the number seven always represents perfection, right? When did God rest? On the seventh day, because everything that he made was perfect, right? God made the, everything in what the Bible says is six days, and on the seventh day, he rested because it was perfect. And so what Peter is asking is, hey, these other rabbis have taught us that we should forgive three times. So when Peter says, so should we forgive seven times? He's already over doubling what the people of the day have to say. He's already being what, what we would consider super generous. Should I get, forgive seven times? And Jesus answers and says, no, I say to you 77 times. Some translations even say 70 times seven, right? What this means is that you give infinitely. You forgive infinitely. What Peter is asking is, hey, I want to be generous. And Jesus says, you don't just need to be generous. You need to be, be over quota in how you do this. And so, because sometimes we ask the questions, how many times should I forgive? We even have a phrase in our culture that says this, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. What Jesus would say is, forgive, forgive, forgive. Why? Why would Jesus say that? Are we supposed to let everyone in the world off the hook? No. Jesus is saying, this is for you. This is for you as a person that when you do not allow unforgiveness to enter your life, you are really free. He wants us to understand that, that yes, we do bring freedom and joy into other people's life, but that's out of the joy and freedom that you and I experience when unforgiveness doesn't take root in our lives, right? Even as I'm talking about this, there may be situations, people that right now are entering your mind and you're like, don't go there, Pastor Blake. Don't go towards that person. You don't know what they did. Jesus and I don't need to know what they did, although Jesus does. Because Jesus is speaking to a group of people who will soon betray him and put him on a cross and kill him. And while he's on that cross, he will ask God to forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. If anybody had the ability to have resentment, bitterness, anger, or anything, it was the perfect, holy Son of God who is watching the people he was coming to die for crucify him. And Jesus freed himself and them by asking God to forgive them. And so you say, it's impossible. You, you don't understand that this thing is way too big. There is a quota on it, and I can never, ever forgive. Well, I'm not asking you to do it for them. I'm asking you to do this for you. And that's what Jesus is asking you to do. He's saying, I don't want this in your life because it breeds the opposite of everything that I've come to give you. In fact, some of us are wondering, why in all of my relationships are they dysfunctional and having issue? Well, because unforgiveness 
brings separation and barriers to every aspect of your life because it kills trust. It kills peace. It kills happiness. It kills joy. It kills friendships. It kills marriages. And we're going to talk about in just a little bit how you can recognize if there's unforgiveness in your life. Because there's tall tale signs, symptoms of unforgiveness. And so Jesus says, look, when it comes to forgiveness, Peter, I love your heart that you already want to go above and beyond, but we're going to go way beyond that. We're going to give, forgive infinitely. There's no quota on forgiveness. And here's what that means for you and I. There is no quota on God's forgiveness towards you. If you, in this room, sometimes the issue with us is not forgiving others, it's forgiving ourselves and believing that God could actually forgive us. I mess up all the time. Oh, he must be so angry with me. God may be disappointed in some of the things that you're doing, but he's not unforgiving if you're a child of God. Because what we see here is there's no quota to his forgiveness. It keeps on coming. And if you believe in him, you can forgive in the same way. You say it's impossible. Well, thank God he sent the Holy Spirit when you're a believer to indwell you, to help you, right? And so, but what you have to understand is like when we talk about these essentials of relationships, how many of us know the closer someone is, the more it hurts? Like if they had a sword, the person who's far away may be able to scratch you, but the person who's close can pierce you. Notice what Peter said. He didn't say, how many times when a total stranger comes into my life should I forgive them? Seven times? He says, how many times should I forgive my brother? How many times should I forgive my brother? The closer that people are, the more forgiveness is needed. Because the closer that people are, the deeper the wound is. And some of you have experienced this in your life. Some of you, like your dad has wounded you deeply. Your mom has wounded you deeply. Your sibling may have wounded you deeply. Your spouse has wounded you deeply. That person you dated for so long wounded you deeply. Why? Because they knew exactly where to go to cut you the deepest. And right now, yeah, that that wound is there, but I'll tell you, I have a wound that I got years ago. I dislocated my shoulder out the back of my shoulder. Um, I, I stiff-armed someone, and he was like 285 pounds running, and my arm went through the back, okay? I remember that day. My mom was like, hey, I said, I, I drove home out of a stick shift car, and I drove home. I was like, something's wrong, right? And so I went home. I was playing football, went home, got into the house. I was like this, walking in, and my mom's like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I think my shoulder's dislocated. And she's like, hey, let's take off your shirt. I need to look at it. And I was like, I can't move my arm. And she was like, let's go to the hospital. And literally, as I went to the hospital, my mom drove me. She's like, hey, go check yourself in. My dad was already working at the hospital. She's like, hey, go check yourself into the ER, okay? I was like, okay, what? I'm like 16. No, I was like 18. I was like, okay, okay, mom, right? And so she pulled up, and I got out of the car. And when I got out of the car, my arm relocated. Like that movement, it went wham. And I was like, oh, we're good. I can go home. My mom's like, no, we need to go get this x-ray and figure it out. I ended up tearing my labrum 90%. Okay, Um, I'll tell you to this day, I'm doing pretty good. I've done a lot of PT, but when it gets cold, my shoulder aches. Like the wounds healed, like there's no visible wounding anymore, but I tell you, I still feel it. It's not fully healed. 
For so many of us, that's what unforgiveness is like. You've been able to pile scars on top of it enough that it maybe doesn't affect you every day, but when you start to get close to people, it kind of rears its head. And it begins to destroy your relationship. So let me just tell you, the closer people are, the more forgiveness is needed. And that doesn't mean amount. It means necessity. So... How many of us in here can be more forgiving towards a stranger than the people in our own life? Right? Like, oh, they're just, you just give excuses for people. Ah, oh, they're ignorant, right? Like, like when you're driving and someone cuts you off, you, you give sign language like, hey, God bless you. And then, and then you're like, but you know what? Lord, I forgive them. I forgive them, Lord. Right? But then your spouse walks in and has a little bit of a bad day and they have some attitude with you. And then you're like, this mug, okay, we're going to do this now. So a stranger cuts you off and you use sign language. When your spouse says something to you, you use verbal language, right? I'm going to tell you something, right? That's how it goes because the closer it is, the more it hurts. How many of us feel that the closer we get to God, the harder it is to believe that he forgave you? How many of us, the closer and further we move into our relationship with God, the harder and harder it is to believe that Jesus forgave you? Because the closer it is, the more it hurts, and the more you realize how much you maybe offended somebody. See, we, it's not only that we need to forgive others, we need to accept the forgiveness ourselves. Some of us are not walking in God's call in our life because we believe in the unforgiveness that the enemy is pushing towards us and we say, I can't do what God called me to do because God doesn't really love me and he doesn't forgive me. How could a nasty person like me ever do that? According to Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, there is no limit to the forgiveness of God. And all you're doing is believing a lie and not the truth. See, the truth is you're 100% free. You're 100% forgiven. You just haven't realized it yet. It's yes and not yet. And so I want to free somebody here tonight, right now, this morning, right now. Like God has, if you've believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are right now, like look at me. Everybody just make eye contact with me for one second. I need you to hear this. You're forgiven. You are forgiven. In fact, the Bible describes that your sin, whatever you use that needed to be forgiven in your relationship with God, the Bible says God removes it from you as far as the east is from the west. What does that mean? He infinitely removes it from you because his forgiveness is infinite. And so you are constantly moving in the opposite direction of your worst moments if you believe in Jesus Christ. You're constantly getting further and further away from the thing that you get sick in your stomach about. But the enemy will come in and whisper those things to you because a lie is just as powerful as the truth if it is believed. We need to start believing in the things of God. You aren't who the enemy says you are. You are exactly who God made you to be. And you are, if you are in Jesus Christ and you've believed in him, you are a saint, no longer a sinner. You're forgiven. So the closer it is, the more forgiveness is needed. But let me just tell you something. When it's the worst, you have to forgive. You have to forgive. Matthew 23, 
Or Matthew 18, verses 23 to 27, listen to what it says. Therefore, so Jesus goes into this saying, if you have a Bible and it's in red, the words of Jesus are always in red. Uh, if you have that type of translation, it says this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So he said, some of these guys that served the king owed him some money. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. I know that that doesn't mean anything to us, right? We're like, what's a talent? Okay, he's really a talented guy. No, no, what this means is in this time, a talent was the largest unit of measure. It was the largest unit of measure in the time. And the number 10,000 was the highest number in the Greek language that had a word for it. This is like the supreme number that had a word in the language. And so for the readers of the time, this is really bad. Because not only is it the largest unit of measure, it's also the highest number you could get to. This means this guy is leveraged in debt to the max. He's leveraged in debt to the max. And so he owes 10,000 talents in cents he could not pay his master, ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all he had and payment to be made. So the king realizes this dude is never, ever going to be able to pay this back. In fact, in just a few minutes, I'm going to try to compare what 10,000 talents would be in today's money. Okay? So this guy realizes, hey, He's never, ever going to be able to pay this debt back. This guy messed up royally. In fact, he messed up so much, there aren't any more words in the Bible to describe how bad he messed up. There's nothing left. This is the worst of the worst. He owes the most. And so this is what happens. And so in this time in the Bible, sometimes what would happen to you, in order to pay a debt that you couldn't, you'd go to jail. Could you imagine if that happened today? You can't pay your debt, like your credit card bill, and you go to jail for a certain period of time until you can pay it. All of us will be in jail. We're like, oh, no, we'd be having church today in the cell block, right? So what happens is, but this dude's debt is so bad that his wife, his kids, and everything he has ends up in prison too. You're like, oh, no. Can I just say your sin has collateral damage? Your sin never just affects you. There's always collateral damage. But I also want you to realize that in forgiveness, there's collateral grace. Not that the people that are in your family will be saved because of the forgiveness that you receive from Jesus Christ, but the way that they receive the grace is you're no longer anger, angry, bitter, hatred, distant. See, they receive grace because of the forgiveness that you've received. In fact, there's people in your life that I hope after this message will receive grace because you call them up and ask for forgiveness or offer it. See, where there's collateral damage, there's collateral grace. And so what happens here is all of this 10,000 talents is, is owed. And so he hears about the penalty that is to come. And at this, verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity or compassion on him and canceled the debt and let him go. So not only was the debt dealt with, the consequence was dealt with. He didn't say, you know what, I'm going to cancel the debt 
<clears throat> but you're going to need to go to jail for a little bit. When the master saw and had compassion upon the servant, he said, your debt is gone. And not only is your debt gone, the consequence of that I'm releasing you from. I want you to notice something that is really important here about our relationship with God. How many of us are asking God for patience when he's offering forgiveness? <clears throat> so many of us in our life are asking our Lord, just be patient with me. I promise I'll pay you back. I, I, what you've done for me is so unbelievable. I promise I'll pay you back. Just be patient with me. And God says, I don't want you to serve out of an obligation. I want you to serve out of the freedom you've experienced from the forgiveness I've offered. See, some of us are living on this eternal guilt trip because we sinned against God. According to Psalm 51, against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned. Praise be to God that his forgiveness has no quota. But stop asking him for patience and start walking in his forgiveness. He has complete forgiveness for you, and he's paid everything. So not only is the man's debt wiped clean, the consequence of the debt is wiped clean. This family is saved. Do you see how there's collateral grace? When this man asked for grace and he asked for even just patience, he got forgiveness. And when he got forgiveness, now the mom and the kids and all the things are safe. Maybe there's some people in our lives right now that we need to fully accept the forgiveness of God right now. And we need, because we've been forgiven, other people in our lives need to experience that. Other people in our lives need to be freed because here's the reality of what happens here. The story, like this is a great story so far. You're like, man, the master's awesome. He frees this guy from an immeasurable amount at an immeasurable weight. Like the Bible, there, there's no longer words in the world to describe how bad the situation was. And he's free. And I imagine he is walking in this moment and he's like, I, I'm, anyone ever paid off a student debt or a credit card debt? The day you pay and there's a zero balance, you're like, hey, right? And you're like, I'm gonna go spend some money. How many of you do that? I feel so good. I need some new clothes. I just got a new credit card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You forgot where you came from. And that's exactly what happens to the servant. Look here in Matthew 28 to 30. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants, someone equal to him, who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Right, like this dude owes him a hundred coins and he sees him. Now look, he just got free, but he forgot where he just came from. And he begins to choke his other servant because the dude owes him some money. You see what unforgiveness does to you? See, because yes, he had received forgiveness, but that forgiveness that he received had not transformed his heart. And so he still had unforgiveness in his heart. And look at what it did to him. He choked his friend. As soon as he did this, he chokes his friend. 
Now look at what happens. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me. This is what unforgiveness does. Pay back what you owe me. Notice how his unforgiveness is already putting him in another prison. He demanded, verse 29, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I will pay it back. He uses the same words that the other servant had just used towards the king. And notice what happens. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Let me just tell you something. Your past sufferings will never justify your present sin. Your past sufferings do not justify your present sin. And here's what I mean by that. My dad hurt me, so now I hurt people. My spouse hurt me, so now I hurt people. I used to get lied to a lot, so now I lie. My dad, my mom, my spouse, my partner, my friend, they were super angry, so now I'm angry. Your past will never justify your present sin. I wonder how many of us right now are in this moment where we're using our past to justify our present issue. How many of us in the world are told in the world's economy, you're hurt, go hurt. You're angry, be angry. They hurt you, go hurt them. And what does Jesus tell us all throughout the Bible? Forgive, forgive. Because how many of us, just don't raise your hand because you'll get called out, you're angry right now. You're, you're I'm going to say, you're pissed. Life sucks. You, you're hurting. And so everywhere you go, you're like a ticking time bomb waiting to go off because you feel bad about what you've done and you feel worse about what's happened to you and you have unforgiveness in your heart and you've forgotten that you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and all of your sin has been removed from you as far as the east is from the west, but you haven't forgiven yourself and that forgiveness hasn't transformed your heart yet and so you're still pissed at the world? What gospel is your life preaching? St. Francis of Assisi said this, share the gospel always and when necessary, use words. What is the good news that your life is preaching? Is it the life of forgiveness or is it the life of anger and hatred and all of these things? And let me just ask you, do you feel great? How many of you wake up pissed off? You have a forgiveness issue. How many of you, your day's ruined before it begins because there's unforgiveness in your heart and you're wondering why I'm not living this Christian life? There's good news for you. His forgiveness never runs out and you can walk in it today. But let me just compare these two things to you because we can't forget where we came from. One talent is worth 6,000 coins. One talent is worth 6,000 coins. That means that the first servant or owed over 60 million coins. The other guy, he owns 100. You see how your past will never justify your present sin? Do you see how unforgive the forgiveness that he received didn't transform his heart? It's like he paid off the debt and now he goes and gets more. Here's how this works out. A denarii, a coin, was basically a day's wage. So the first servant, he owes 164,384 years of work. The second servant 
those 100 days. See, unforgiveness will kill the grace in your life. Who, this guy should be walking around forgiving everybody. He just had what the Bible describes as an immeasurable amount. There's no language left for what he had done in his life. He's nothing left. And now he goes after a guy who owes him a hundred bucks. Do you see what unforgiveness does to you? See, because what we can't forget is that there's only really one person who pays the price for unforgiveness. There's only really one person paying the price. Matthew 28, verses 31 to 35. Listen to what the Bible says. So he refused. He has this guy thrown in jail. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed because they witnessed the forgiveness, and now they witnessed the unforgiveness. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me and should not have had mercy on, should you have not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. What that means, that's a lifetime sentence. So also, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Well, that's a warning, isn't it? Do I think God's going to throw you into hell? Nope. If you're a believer, you're just not acting in grace, but you're definitely going to live hell on earth. You're going to pay a lifetime sentence here if you can't get forgiveness. Not because the other person is owed it, but because you give it in grace. That's what grace is, getting what you do not deserve. Mercy is not receiving what you do deserve. See, unforgiveness kills the grace in your life. And when the grace in your life is dead, all you have left to live in is what you actually do deserve, which is a prison. See, so many of us, unforgiveness is like a cancer. Unforgiveness is like on, on the bed because I thought I was so right in my life. I wouldn't ask for forgiveness, and it didn't cause a huge issue in our marriage, but we would talk about it. It would occupy our time. And then when I found out it was me, it was really hard for me to apologize because I thought I was right, and I wasn't. A couple years ago, this is how I want you to think about unforgiveness. <clears throat> it was maybe, I'm even struggling right now. <clears throat> um, a few years ago, I, these are mints, by the way. Um, everyone's like, what do you put in your mouth? <clears throat> mints. <clears throat> Sorry. And uh, a couple years ago, I got sick, and I had a cough for a while, and I thought it was allergies. And I just, like, let it go, like, for a long time. And finally, like, every week before I would preach, I was praying to God, please help me not cough please help me, like, be okay. And when I did that, <clears throat> um, I tried that for about four months. And I, j I just wasn't getting better. And so, how many of you know, like, health stuff is expensive? So I avoided my potential solution because it cost a lot. But thanks be to God, my dad's a doctor. And so, and he's a lung doctor, and I was having a breathing problem. So I said, hey, dad, can I come to your office? Can you give me a chest x-ray? Can you help me figure out what's going on with me? <clears throat> he said, yeah, come on by. Turns out I had bronchitis that was getting ready to probably begin to turn into pneumonia. So I had a bacterial bronchitis because my dad got my x-ray, and he's like, 
he was literally like, I walked into his office, he gets my stuff, and then he's like, hmm, when your dad says, hmm, it's not good. And I look at it, and my lungs were super cloudy, all over my lungs. And my dad's like, we need to get you on antibiotics immediately. We need to now get ahead of this because it can actually turn into further problems. Unforgiveness is like a cancer. See, if you ignore it, all it does is breed more and more, and all of a sudden you're going to find yourself in a real bad situation, like I did. I ignored the issue. I tried to treat the symptoms, which didn't heal the bronchitis, and then I was getting to a point where I couldn't take a deep breath. Do you know how dangerous that is for a pastor who uses his voice in his air to preach? See, oh, this is good. I was putting my calling into jeopardy because I allowed unforgiveness or cancer to grow. How many of us are putting your God-given calling in jeopardy, your blessing in life, because you're allowing unforgiveness to fester in your life? Let me ask you, do you feel like you can walk in all that God has for you right now, or do you feel like you're unqualified because of the anger and unforgiveness that you have? You're not disqualified. You just feel that way because you're harboring cancer in your life. See, unforgiveness is a prison, and it's going to keep you in jail forever. And let me just tell you who unforgiveness runs with. His best friend is hurt. His best friend is hurt. And as soon as hurt comes in, let me just tell you, Hurt hurts because you don't, you don't deserve it. And because you're a victim, the culture says stay a victim. I'm not saying you're actually not a victim. You may be a victim of something terrible in your life. I'm not saying that. But we can't remain a victim. We have to go fight for our freedom. We can't, we can't live here and put our well-being and our freedom into the hands of other people when God is calling us. So let me just tell you what harboring unforgiveness might look like in your life. You become judgmental and assume the, assume the worst intentions in everybody else. In fact, I know people who have been hurt by churches that won't come back to churches because they assume that every church has the worst motives. You are unwilling to extend grace or give the benefit of the doubt. How many of us, our very first thought is the person who cuts us off might have cut us off because they're on their way to their house because their spouse just passed out and they need to rush them to the hospital? Anyone ever speed in here for a good reason? Anyone ever cut someone off because you had to get somewhere fast because there's something going on? Do you think that the people in the car that you just cut off assumed it was for a good reason? Let me just tell you, when you assume it's for a good reason, you avoid hurt. What are we told in the world? Assume the worst. Why? Because the enemy knows that's what wounds the deepest. When you are unwilling to give grace or to give the benefit of the doubt, that might be a marker in your life that you have unforgiveness. You feel anger at the smallest things. The smallest things set you off. Anyone ever met somebody who has a huge reaction to a small thing? Unforgiveness. You are untrusting towards others. You ever met a dog that like literally will not allow you to pet it? 
like they're, they're aggressive towards you or something like that, you know what happened? Some hurt entered their life from someone who might look like you or people who look like you, so they distrust you. Some of you are like a hurt dog walking around this life, and you distrust everyone. Does that feel like freedom? Do you know why the dog responds that way? Because it's scared for its life. Some of us are not trusting other people because we're scared for our life. Here's a big one. You keep score. Unforgiveness will cause you to tally and keep score because you're looking at, when am I justified in breaking off relationship with that person? Because they keep on hurting me. If you forgive, the score goes away. Why? Because there's no quota to it. It doesn't matter what the scoreboard is. There's always more grace and always more forgiveness. And I'm going to tell you, I want to give you guys some balances in a minute. You avoid people. You have anxiety. Here's a big one. You doubt God and you doubt his goodness. How many of us have experienced something in our life that we have unforgiveness about in our hearts, either that we did or someone else did to us, and we avoid God because of it? Here's one that I think is really interesting. People who treat pets like people. I've heard people say in this world, my dog is my best friend because I can't trust people. My dog will never disappoint me. My dog will never do this to me. You're replacing your God-given relationships with an animal. And let me just tell you, yes, they will never probably disappoint you, but they also can't bring the joy in your life like you can in the relationships. Because there's a, there's a barrier so it's an animal and you're a person. There's a barrier. You can have a good relationship, but let me just tell you, they can't give you sage advice when you're in trauma. They can't really go out and like you're in debt and you can't get this done, go help you by getting a job. Like there's a limit to what they can do. So I'm not saying like go hate your pets. I'm just saying if you love pets more than people, you might have a forgiveness issue. And so what's the goal of all of this as we begin to end? The band's going to come up. What's the goal of all of this? See, the goal of forgiveness is not that you just justify everybody else's action. The goal of forgiveness is freedom for you, for you. This is for you. This is what God is telling you. This is for you. It's not for other people. It's for you. But let me just tell you that what comes out of your life will affect other people. See, the grace that you're given, the forgiveness that you receive will pour out. There is collateral grace. We serve out of the overflow of what God is doing in our life. And when you really receive forgiveness, you can be forgiving. You can help other people. You can do that. But don't make it about them. This is about what God has done for you. And because of what God has done for you, something changes in you. And it's in there. It's already there. The Bible says that you are forgiven, period. doesn't say you're forgiven, kind of. Kind of doesn't say you're forgiven, maybe. Let me just tell you, you are fully forgiven. On this earth, we're just realizing it. We're just discovering it more and more and more. And how many of our relationships are suffering because of unforgiveness in our lives and our hearts? It's essential. You will not have godly, good, 
healthy relationships in this world if unforgiveness is reigning in your heart. Some of you, your kids and your spouses are paying for the sins of someone else because unforgiveness is in your life. And because it hurts so bad, it comes out in anger and separation and all of these things. And you realize what you're doing? You're wounding them. So out of your hurt, you hurt because there's unforgiveness. And this is a perpetual cycle. My dad was hurt by his dad. So my dad hurt me. And now I hurt my kids. How many of you have found yourselves saying the one thing that hurts you the most that your parents said to you? And you say it to your kids. Forgive your parents and stop wounding your kids. Do you see what unforgiveness does? It destroys everything. And that's why Jesus came to give forgiveness. And so where are you in your life? Is unforgiveness in your life like a cancer that's growing? And let me just tell you, you can treat all the symptoms, but until you treat the root, there will be no freedom. And some of us in here have believed in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but we're missing the process. So as the band comes up, I'm going to pray. But I want to give you a moment to respond. How do you offer forgiveness with open hands? So with every head bowed and eyes closed, I just want to give us a moment to respond. In this season of your life, what is God saying to you about your relationships? What is God saying to you about what is happening in your life? What area of your life right now, just with open hands, just raised to heaven right now, what is God saying to you? Who is it? What is the name that he's calling out? What is the situation that God is calling out in your life right now that is the root of what is happening? And as God reveals that to you right now, would you ask him what to do? What do I need to do, God? Do I need to forgive? See, when you forgive, it doesn't excuse their behavior. It releases you from the issue of it. When you forgive, it doesn't just say everything that they did was okay or that justice won't be served. What it says is you're trusting God to take care of it. You're extending grace, which we so much have received. Do not forget where you came from and what God paid for you. See, all of us are the first servant in the story. We're not the king. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one who can forgive fully based upon our plea for forgiveness, not patience. God doesn't want to give you patience. He wants to give you forgiveness. We are the first servant whose sin was so great, there are not words to describe it. And some of us are living in the shame of that and we feel like we can't get close to God because how could God love someone like me? And the story says he is the good king and he sees your plea and his compassion run towards you and you are forgiven. When we call on the name of Jesus Christ for salvation, you will be saved. 
And if you're in this room right now and you're like, I'm the first servant, my sin is ever before me. I am so far from God and it's destroying my relationships in my life. The very first step for you is to ask for forgiveness from the Father. And let me tell you, he will meet you because Jesus didn't pay for your symptoms. He paid for your sin. And when our sin is forgiven, we can begin to live in the freedom of Jesus Christ. Praise be to him and him alone, for we are the first servant, but he is the king who forgives. And so in this room right now or online, if you are that person and you say, for the very first time in my life, I need to ask for forgiveness to God because against him and him alone have I sinned and I will no longer be afraid to ask for I will believe that he is a good king who will meet me in my need and his grace is bigger than my past and he will forgive me. This is called salvation. And if for the very first time in your life, you need to do that, would you just raise a hand? That's a way of acknowledging to God, like that's me. I need that right now. See hands. But if you're in this room and you have received that forgiveness, but you are the first servant who's going back and telling everyone else that they owe you, you're looking at your sin, you're looking at those past events, and you say, you owe me. You owe me. You almost destroyed me. You hurt me. You did all of these things to me. Don't forget where you come from. And don't forget how lavish his grace and his forgiveness is. And if there is someone or something in your life that you need to forgive, that doesn't mean forget, that doesn't mean excuse, but you need to be released from the bondage of unforgiveness. Just raise your hand. I got both mine up. All over the room. We're not going to live in this any longer. We're not going to live in this because it's destroying our relationships. You no longer have to feel far from God because God is near. And don't allow the unforgiveness that you have towards others separate you from the love of the Father. And let that love of the Father drive you to relationship with others. Be willing to be hurt because when you're willing to pre-forgive, you're willing to walk into hurt, but it will not destroy you. And so in this room, we need to be a people because there is no quota to God's forgiveness. We no longer need to choose to forgive because it's already happened. We need to be those. For those who offend us, we pre-forgive. Forgiveness is the automatic result. And let me just tell you, church, you gotta keep doing it. Just because you forgave once in your heart doesn't mean the enemy doesn't bring it back. And so when that thing comes up in your life, you just scream forgiven 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 it's over it is finished he took care of it and i will live in the freedom of jesus life church it's time what gospel is your life preaching jesus or unforgiveness let's walk in freedom today